Doug South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DougSouth.com. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And now, here your host, Rocky LaFleur. Everybody on? Good. Great. Grand. Wonderful. No yelling on the butt. Josh Webb. Sorry I had a fight in the middle of your butt. I'm party. And Jake LaTondres. I'm bad news. Also starring Rob Crew. I bet this guy's into the woods a hundred bucks. And Bradley Ramsey. Bill Martin inside. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody. Showtime. Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFleur in the Duck South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. Guess who is back on this Tuesday? Ryan, I caught a lot of hell last week when you went on vacation. Sorry. Sorry about that. I enjoyed it. It's a good time. You know, some, a guy in the comment section of wherever that was posted, he said, man, leave the guy alone. He's on vacation. Everybody deserves one. Yeah. I got it. It was it was a good one. So, got to go up to Alaska and do some fishing. So, as most, as most everybody knows at this point, I lost hunting, fishing, and trapping rights in the U.S. I know Alaska is in the U.S. I got a waiver to fish with my dad. So, uh, that was good. You did get the waiver. I did get the waiver. Uh, we'll go into that as things progress a little bit. But, um, yeah, I, I had to beg, borrow, and steal to get it, but I did get the waiver, the green light. It was my dad's birthday. It was Father's Day, and this trip was set up to go to Alaska and fish at the end of it uh, for part of his retirement. So I was glad I got the waiver. Uh, My dad's 73, so uh, we're getting up there in age, and things are starting to slow down, and that was one of his bucket list items, so I'm glad I got to participate with him and do that. That was going to be very difficult to watch. Uh, so did you fly or drive? We we flew into Vancouver and then took a cruise ship from Vancouver, Canada, all the way up into Seward. And then we fished at Seward, the salmon... We're at the beginning of the run. We caught some halibut, cod, a bunch of rockfish, too. So, All right, so I'm a virgin when it comes to the summer solstice in the northern states. So what time did it get dark, and what time did it get light? It got dark about midnight to where you couldn't see, and then about 2.30 in the morning, it was the sun was coming back up, 3 o'clock. So, yeah, quite, it was it was interesting. I, I probably need a vacation from my vacation, but catch up on sleep. But 
Oh, well. It was worth it. That is freaking nuts. Two and a half hours of darkness is all. I never did see dark. Uh, my whole trip, I never saw dark. I just was either, it was either asleep, like, you know, because 11 o'clock there is, it's, it's basically like 2 o'clock where I normally live. So wow. I just wasn't up. So. All right, well, well, look, all right, on the story, people don't want to hear us talk about, they, they want to hear the story. They, they are, people are all into it. So last week, to, let's let's get a little recap here. Or two weeks ago, the feds had, and along with state game wardens, had raided your place. Your lawyer had showed up. Um, you had walked into the back room, and I, I, one of the most famous quotes, you know, the the feds said, "You you can cooperate, just cooperate, and make this easy." And you said, in the back of your mind, you knew cooperation was only going to bring, probably, be tougher yeah. on you. That's, so, uh... you, you're in a small town here. And this is one of the things I said at the end. Being in a small town, people are going nuts. What the hell is happening down at Ryan's place? So, let's start this story off today with, first, when you woke up the next morning... Or you may want to start off with, hey, you visited with your lawyer before he left that night. But let's talk about that. Let's talk about what what small-town America is saying about what's going on. And I know that you had to have some kind of meeting where you sit really sit down with the lawyer and kind of find out what, what the heck is going on. Yeah. Um, well, remember I was on foot when I was at my house. Um, right, you made the mistake there. of you made the mistake of pulling the yeah. truck into the into the lot. You know, they probably, yeah, they probably had it on the search warrant anyways, but that didn't help. Um, so <laughs> if you're ever under a search warrant situation, do not pull right up to the search warrant. Stop a block away and walk. They have to have a separate search warrant, or in the search warrant, it would have to include the vehicle. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head whether it did or not. Um, I'm sure it probably did because they wanted stuff out of my vehicle. Um, so I kind of knew, you know, I, I kind of knew that anyway. But But again, I was on foot for sure. So I'd walked with my lawyer. I'd went in my house, they'd taken stuff from there. Um, I was looking at my wife like, I'm sorry, I don't know. She she was not really looking at me like she wanted to kill me, but like she didn't really know either what was going on. Um, I signed that, uh, that evidence custody form over there. I mean, they took all kinds of stuff we talked about that before but i'd signed that evidence custody form they had left so we took off back towards my lodge on foot and got back to the lodge and they were finishing up there i went through that evidence custody form um, tried to identify what was on it 
and whose was what because they had the Flow Play Outdoor guys, video cameras. They had my video cameras, my GoPros, everything, videotapes, everything else, computers uh, that were mine, computers that were theirs. Uh, so I went through that evidence custody form. My guides were kind of getting ready to leave at that point. Um, and there was one or two guys there that were kind of finishing up the federal game wardens kind of finishing up. And, um, of course everybody was kind of leaving cards on the table to let me know that they were there. And that's when I realized there was people there from Utah and Arkansas and South Dakota and Nebraska. Um, so anyways, I was pretty rattled at that point, but had not really, I mean, it was kind of more in shock and uh, knew that Dan and George were behind it. They had left. Nobody had really, nobody admitted that to me at that point. We just knew it was kind of unspoken at that point. I had a chance to talk to my guides, um, but everybody was kind of in the room and the game wardens were there and I looked at uh you know and these these guys are your best friends they're your you know at that at that point in your life they're your ride or die people you i mean you are you are living dreams with these people and creating memories seven days a week with these people i mean you love them like they're family and and you're trying to figure out whether you let them down whether they let you down was something going on you didn't know about? Was I doing something that they didn't know about? Was were we all doing something we didn't know about? I mean, we didn't know why, what exactly was going on, and nobody was really pointing fingers, but everybody's heads were hanging, and it was pretty, pretty disappointing. And and one of my guides was going back to Western Kansas, and I dearly loved the guy to death, but. You know, our relationship, and, and he, you know, he'll, I'm sure he'll always love me. I'm sure he's listening to this, but our relationship will never be the same. Um, any of our relationships will never be the same from, from that day on. And he made the statement that he had to go. And uh, I said, where are you going? And he said, I'm going west. And, and he said, they told me I had to go. And first he said that, that he had to leave his trailer. And I said, you don't have to leave your trailer, dude. You can take your trailer and anything of mine that's in it, we'll dig it out later. You know, he had, he was running pretty much his own trailer. I don't know that he had anything that belonged to the company in that trailer. He said, yeah, I can. I said, you know, that that's not on the evidence custody form. They didn't take it. So I walked over to, to an officer and I said, what, what do you mean he can't take his trailer? His trailer's not wasn't on the evidence custody form I signed you you're done you're leaving you're gone so you can either add it to the evidence custody form and take the trailer or whatever but you're not going to leave it here either he's leaving with it or you're going to take control of it and be responsible for it and so they chattered around a little bit and said that was fine my lawyer was there you know, he was he was saying they they can't do that. He's and he doesn't have to go. He's free to stay. 
blah, blah, blah. But I think he, he was also wanting some comfort. So he was trying to get to his parents in some place that he felt safe and could trust. And he didn't really know what was going on. And so, you know, I said, I'll, I'll, they didn't take his phone, but they'd taken mine. And I said, I'll figure out how to get a hold of you, you know, as soon as I can or whatever, let you know what's going on and whatever. But that's just a real odd way to leave somebody. I mean, so he left and drove, you know, this is the evening time. This is seven o'clock. So he drove through the night. Got home probably ten, eleven o'clock. Probably worried the entire way. Had to drive alone. Um, my other guide went back to Wichita. Uh, I didn't know that they had got into my cameraman's house in Wichita and served a search warrant there at the same time. Um, but his name wasn't on the search warrant, and for a long time we wondered if he wasn't uh undercover working us as well for a very long time uh and when we when we initially when i initially hired him we talked about what his job was and he was located out of wichita and his job was um he wasn't somebody i knew forever but he was good with a camera and his initial job that he told me he said i'm like part of a disaster relief deal so if a hurricane hits in florida then I relocate people, you know, I help with relocating them for temporary housing, like into Wichita, into hotels or whatever. And I remember thinking at the time, that's, I don't know. You know, I, I don't know how much of that I buy. That's a weird, that just seems weird to me. It seems very odd. So really for probably about two and a half, to three years now it was longer than that it was probably almost it would have been about five years we really thought he he was undercover as well and then he used a fake name to get on a form and start talking trash and that's that's when we first heard he finally i finally figured out who it was and said hey Met Rogers. This was his screen name. I said, I I know exactly who you are and whatever. And, and uh, he he was mad because they came to his house and got stuff from his house. And uh, so he was not very happy and seemed to voice it on any form that would listen type deal. But anyways, the. Uh, my other guide went back to Wichita and my other one went to Hutch and I was left with the dust settling and I sat down with my lawyer and guys, I'm telling you, if you ever get in trouble, you can tell your lawyer whatever. His job is def to defend you, but you have to tell him what he's defending. He can't be surprised in court. He can't be surprised somewhere else because then he can't prepare a defense for you. So no matter how humiliating it is or embarrassing or whatever, you have to take the time, sit down and say, look, this is what I did. This is what they're going to say. This is what they're going to do. Whatever. The problem is 
I really didn't have that much to give him. I'm like, they took my 17 HMR out of my truck. I won that at a DU banquet nine months before they took it. I've never done anything with it. I've shot, I shot and missed a fox with it when, when Dan and George were there. And it took me a little bit to figure out that. Ah, that's why they took that because I was sitting in the seat of my truck when I shot it. And although you can do that to a coyote, a fox is a fur bearer. You cannot shoot it from the truck. And I, I've known that my whole life. I just didn't think about it because I've shot it a thousand coyotes from my truck. And, and it was ground I had permission on. So that wasn't an issue. And it was from a road that I could shoot off of in the state of Kansas. You can shoot off the road if you have permission on that side of the road. So all that part was legal. The problem is I was in my truck and it was a fur bearer. So, and I honestly didn't think about it, but, and I didn't even think about it when I talked to the lawyer. I told him, I said, I, I can't, I don't know. I have no idea what they're after. I haven't had a chance to talk to my guides. Obviously, I didn't let them question me. So I said, he said, why don't we meet next week? and see if you hear anything. I'm thinking, I don't have a phone, I don't have a computer, I don't have any landlines are pretty much non-existent. I don't know what I'm going to do. I guess let people find me or whatever. So, um, you had I, I no went clue. home. I didn't. I didn't. I knew, I knew Dan and George were undercover, but I didn't have a clue because, and I told him, I said, we knew these two guys were undercover. We talked about it after the first time. We said, we're not doing anything. Just keep running clean, whatever. I had a check for him at that time um, that was still in my pocket from that day, um, which later, like, I don't know, probably five, six days later, end up getting access to a computer where I could look, start digging up information on these guys. It was very difficult to find. Um, I found one public document. They were on an indictment out of uh, like Windy Hill Outfitters out of North Dakota or South Dakota. I don't know. Windy Hill Outfitters. There's an indictment online. You can look it up. But it was a very similar deal. It was it was Dan and George working the case. They worked it for like three years. So of course, you read that. And then that guy went to prison for 11 months. And so the wheels continue to turn. You continue to panic. And you're thinking, what did I do? And this guy went to prison for 11 months. I don't want to go to prison. So... Anyways, not getting too far forward, jumping back, I, I end up going home. My wife and kids are there. I have to look at my daughter that's at her first Christmas concert and explain to her that I missed her Christmas concert. And that's when the tears started and things became very real and very rough that I was so into my job and so into what was going on that now, you know, I'd probably miss family stuff prior to that, but, you know, I showed up to Thanksgiving with face paint on. I showed up to Christmas with, you know, waiters halfway pulled down and 
you know, face paint on or whatever from, from hunting. And it was just kind of a way of life. You just wheeled in, you, you did your family stuff, let your guys eat lunch. And then you swung back over, picked them up and went out. But that, at that point, that was one of the biggest turning points in my life was probably right then when you got to look at your oldest child and explain to her why you missed her first Christmas concert ever. And you can't get that back. And I think I probably. As a, as a lawyer later left. Child, the lawyer, the lawyer left. He was, he said, just figure out what's going on. Meet me next week at my office. Was he worried at all? What was his reaction to he, you? He wasn't. He wasn't. I said, "What am I? What am I going to do? They've got everything. They've got my books. I don't know who's coming when." I said, "I know I've got other people coming." I said, "Tyler Jordan is supposed to be here in a week," and he said, "You you have not been charged with anything. You have not been arrested." You have not been ticketed. You, you're, you're under investigation. That's it. So business as usual. So, so who's going to guide these people? Because did they not send your guides home? They did. Um, obviously, two of them were still local. One was Wichita. One was Hutch. And then there was me. And I mean, I, I ran as many clients as any of my guides did. You know, I never asked my guys to do anything I wasn't willing to do. So I was running clients too. So I was prepared to take them, you know, and do what I needed to do. So I had to start figuring things out. And the next morning woke up and, of course, you're trying to figure out where to start. I mean, it's like after a tornado hits, you you don't know do you go pick stuff up? Do you go through stuff? Do you? What are your no thoughts as you walk back in the lodge the next day? That, that's a great place to start. You walk back in that lodge, man. I'm sure you're replaying the night before in your mind. Well, yeah, you walk in for the first time and since season has started. Uh, nobody's there. It's quiet. There's remnants of federal game wardens all over everything's moved you're going through to see exactly what you have to start working with what you have you know do i have hunt waivers okay because i can get dates off hunt waivers no i don't have hunt waivers they took them all um so they didn't they didn't leave me much at all to work with so uh I just started trying to access a computer, then access a phone, um, get my old phone turned off and a new one turned on, um, getting into my Facebook and seeing that they had read stuff that other people, you know, read through my messages that other people had sent me and whatever. Pretty sure that at the time I was pretty strongly convinced that they had responded to some of them where people were like, what, what happened? Well, what do you think? And it's like, I wouldn't say that to somebody cause that's a rude statement, but I think it was, they were waiting just for somebody to say, well, they found out you killed nine people and 
shot a bunch of bald eagles and shot 50 limits of ducks one day and whatever. And then they were going to use that or contact those people or whatever. Um, so definitely very, very interesting deal. I was trying to figure out what was going on because I knew I had to meet with my lawyer the next week. Um, also had Tyler Jordan coming, which was kind of a big deal and didn't have any way of getting a hold of clients to know who was coming in the weeks to come, the days to come. Uh, so I got my phone switched. Well, then you don't have any numbers saved anything so you get a call and you don't know who it is so you answer it and they're like hey ryan this is bob and it's like hey bob you know and then we're supposed to be out there in a couple days how's things looking well you're like when when are you supposed to be out here bob because i don't know i don't i don't know so then you don't know you can't remember what they paid for deposits um, I mean, it was a never-ending nightmare. So I went and got a calendar, got my phone changed, got access to a computer, started doing what I could, going back through emails, looking at stuff, trying to piece together a calendar. Um, Are you an open stuff. person or kind of a secretive person? So when these people call, I mean, do you pay uh, – we? you tell them kind of what's going on or you just kind of keep that to yourself? No, at first I didn't say anything and it hadn't, I mean, it hadn't like blown, it hadn't blown out all over the internet at that point. This was, you know, 24, 48 hours after and it hadn't really got everywhere yet. Um, but then newspapers started calling, you know, and the bad part was, you know, newspapers that had done articles on how successful I was and, and, you know, with my last name being Warden, they were, you know, there was articles on Hunter Seek Warden for expertise, talking about people coming to the small town of Haven or whatever. So these same people were trying to contact me for a statement. And I knew from being a law enforcement, I couldn't make a statement. And so I just said, I, you know, I didn't respond to anybody. And the ones you had to answer that you didn't know who they were, you just said, I, I don't have any statement to make this time and whatever, and just hung up the phone. Um, but so this, let me ask, you, let me ask, yeah, the, the first time you go into the local hardware store, Who's the first person brave enough to ask you, what the heck happened? Do you remember oh, that was, conversation? Yeah, there was um, some buddies of mine that worked at at Kincaid Manufacturing, a, a place here in town. And um, they were farmers, and we had hunted together also. And they they had said, hey, what what happened? And I'm like, well, this is what happened. And they're like, why? Um, I'm like, I, I don't know. And I remember feeling like you got to the point where you said, I don't know. And people were like, you're full of it. Which, to be real honest, when people tell me that, I think the same thing. So I really couldn't judge them for 
looking at me like, you're full of it, dude. You know something. For that many people to show up, you you got to know something. When when law enforcement shows up at your house or pulls you over, hey, can see your license and insurance card, please. Well, you were speeding. You, you know when he pulled you over. But this, man, this is your crack house selling drugs. Yeah. You, you know why they're there. Maybe not want to admit yeah. it, but you know why they're there. This, when you're kind of sitting there like, nobody has told you why. That, see, for the simple-minded, just, you know, for the regular guy that just gets pulled over for speeding, for selling some marijuana, whatever it may be, they know why. And it's hard yeah. for a simple brain to comprehend that you don't know why. Yeah, that was probably the hardest thing, because then I think people thought I was lying to them. And then, you know, stories came out about they were selling drugs. We weren't selling drugs. Um, you know, well, they were double dipping. No, we weren't double dipping. Oh, those carcasses that were found 197 miles from here in a bar ditch that they were talking about on the news, those were probably theirs. No, they weren't ours. I mean, any any anything that ever happened bad in the United States during that time was probably blamed on us and what was going on at the at the lodge. And it's like, I, people, I don't know. I don't know what to tell you. I didn't. I don't know. I don't have any good answers for you. I didn't know. I didn't know. And to be real honest, like I said earlier, the thought process is going through your mind of like. Did one of my guides do something? Like, is one of my guides doing something that I'm missing? That, like, point blank. Because two of those guides at the time were going into Canada and guiding, and then they were coming back to me, you know, around Halloween time when Canada's shutting down. They were coming back to me and guiding the rest of the season. And, we, and I'm like, is there... I mean, is there something going on in Canada? I mean, I just couldn't put two and two together. And so we started, we started trying and started piecing puzzles back together and started contacting people. And the guy that went to Western Kansas was just really quiet, obviously. And the one uh, that was in Hutch was probably not as quiet um and he came back and i'm like dude we got to do something we've got we've got tyler showing up and and he said well i'll help i'll help and we determined that we just weren't going to carry guns at that point because then we were we were removing ourselves further from any questions of shooting over the limits double dipping I mean, when you were take a gun out of a guide's hands, you're you're removing a lot of liability at that point. And when I went with Sean Mann in Canada, he never carried a gun, and I couldn't figure out why. That at this time in my life, I started to figure out why. But when you're a young outfitter or younger, you 
you want to be part of the action. And we shot a lot of cripples and stuff that was hit trying to bail out. Um, and I used to tell the guys all the time, just kind of run clean up on stuff that's hit and whatever. And that's kind of how we justified it. But, but going back, guys, I'm telling you right now, as hard as it is, and you don't, I know you don't want to hear it, but you're, you're better off to not carry a gun into the field with you when you're guiding. And I can name a thousand reasons, but one of the biggest ones is if you go out there and shoot six ducks, six dark geese, two speckle bellies, and four snows, and you get up to walk back to the truck, you got to carry them out. Just to go yeah, back and, and get the truck to pull into the field to get everybody else, or you're violating the law. So if you are not shooting anything, guess what? You can get up, walk out, pick up the trucks, come back into the field, and you don't have to carry anything out. And, so and you're better. Side, you're, you're better game time observer, announcer, or analyzer of what's going on. Hey, you yes. shot this duck. Larry, you shot this one. Here you go. Put this one right there beside you, Larry. And although you see well when you're shooting, you don't see as well when you're just watching. Because you're focused on what you're shooting at as well, and you're not seeing right. stuff way right and way left. So, hey, hey, another thing that I left out that I need to ask you, that next day, you get a phone, right? Sometime in the next couple of days, you get up, you get another cell phone, get it turned on. Those first conversations with the guides that met with the feds, what did they tell you that they said? What were what were they like in those first conversations with you? Well, one, one of the things that stuck with me the most is my favorite hoodie at the time was a foils hoodie. It was black, and it had gold writing down the side. It said straight meat on it. Um, Jeff had gave it to me in great band at one point and I wore it. I always liked wearing a dark hoodie in the field. Um, and I, I was wearing it the day they came in and, um, we had got into conversation with the guides later, um, a couple days later and one of them referenced that um Hoodie? something about something about the foils case and one of the game wardens said this is every bit the, the same case and i remember thinking i've read through jeff's stuff and what they came after jeff with and i i i don't see i don't see See how I mean at that time I you know me and Jeff were friends but I knew Jeff didn't trust anybody either because now I didn't trust anybody so I wasn't about to ask Jeff did you really do that or whatever I mean he never did anything like that around me so I had no reason to question his integrity and so I just wasn't going to say hey did you do that did you do that did you do that so I kind of always just talked it up as whatever but i'm thinking if they come after me with that a 27 page indictment or whatever i don't want to do that so some kind of some panic set in and that's when amongst the guides 
that's when I found out about Operation Gooseneck. Their pictures in the top of it. They had questions. We talked about what the questions were. Some of them were on specific hunts, like did you shoot this in the morning and then this in the evening? And, you know, a lot of it was, there was one hunt they were focused on where we we went on a three-day period, we went to the same field, and we just burned them down in that field for three days. And we were out of that field every morning by like 9.30 with our limit of ducks and geese. And they were thinking that those three hunts were one, and they weren't. And I don't know why they thought that, because we had different pictures I mean, you could see that, you know, the, the the birds were different. They were laid different. We were in different spots, different clothing. Some people had different clothing on. Um, and we were referencing at that time when we were posting them. Day one was good. We were out by 9.30. Day two was good. Out by 9.05. Uh, day three, got them again and out of there. Or whatever so I, I never really understood that but they were really keyed on that for some reason I don't I, I, I never did find out why and nothing ever came of it but they asked a lot of questions about that three-day period um, and a bunch of that was those guys those foul play guys had game carriers over their shoulder with 40 ducks on one side and 40 ducks on the other and if you notice in some of the comments on your on your page, some of those guys are those guys are following the story, and some of those guys are commenting about them being taken to a hotel in Arkansas, you know, a year and a half later, and ask about those photos and who killed what that was on that game carrier, and how did we know who killed what, and where were these other people at? And why weren't they in possession since we were clearly in the field? And a lot of those questions got asked to guys, those guys in the hotels in Arkansas. Um, wow. Like I would say, I would say a year to a year and a half later. And I know some of you guys are listening to this. Feel free to comment on on the Facebook page how long it was. But I know, I know that those guys were questioned about that later. But that. And so then, you know, more of it, there was a lot of stuff on, on storage. You know, how did you, how did you clean birds? How did you store them? Why were there birds in the fridge that didn't have a wing attached? You know, they were soaking in salt water. Um, a lot about, you know, tagging stuff. Well, that, and this was the first time I'd start hearing about tagging. And I'm like, you know, to be real honest, my first thing is I've never effing heard of tagging. What? I've hunted ducks my whole life. I've never seen or heard or anything about tagging. So, and a lot of stuff about the Migratory Game Bird Treaty Act. And so immediately I went into trying to figure out what was going on. Was there the anything, meantime, hey, Brian, was there anything that they said, hey, Ryan, you know, I don't know if I, what I said was right or wrong, but I told them this. 
you know, you know what I'm saying? Was there anything of concern no. that the guides felt like no. that they told them they could use against you? No. I mean, we talked about it, and I'm like, well, what'd you tell them? That it was, I mean, you were there. Well, I told them it was, you know, three different hunts. And I'm like, well, the one, we're on sheet water, and we're filming it over sheet water. The other one, we're up on a flat in another part of the field. And I'm like, I don't know. I, I, I just wasn't. I wasn't really worried about them answering anything at that point because I'm thinking they just ask basic questions like, did you stop at the stop sign? Yeah, we always stopped at the stop sign. We didn't, you know, and then stuff they they didn't know about, like when you stored birds, what'd you do? Well, we put them in a sack by based on what groups were with who and put them in there. Well, did you label any of the, of the birds or the sacks? No, we just knew that you know, whose was what. And we did. I mean, we ran two or three groups at a time. We kind of placed them in the freezer left to right and kind of knew who was killing what. Um, and I can answer honestly, I never felt like I sent anybody with the wrong birds. I mean, we opened the bags, looked at them, and they agreed they were theirs. I mean, we'd pull, pull them out, count them or whatever, and yeah, these are definitely you know, yours or whatever. I mean, I never felt like we led anybody to take anything that wasn't theirs. You know, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, yeah, Bob down here at the quick shop. Oh, yeah, he loves geese. He, If you don't want to take him, he'll, I'm sure he'll take him. Just, you know, fill out a gift form for him and whatever. Just fill out a piece of paper. Says he can have him or whatever. Well, I don't, I don't know his last name. I'll have to get that. I don't you know, this and that. And I would take them and give them to them. I mean, I gave them out in the community. Not a lot, but I would say, you know, probably five times a year. I gave birds out to people in the community. And I felt like that was kind of a noble thing to do. Well, I didn't know that 50 CFR 2040 stated the exact tagging guidelines uh, for, or for gifting and the, they had to be tagged before you gifted them and you have to do it at their personal abode or your personal abode and so I mean immediately when they started talking about the Migratory Game Bird Treaty Act I started digging well it wasn't very easy to find information on it it was no, extremely it was difficult to find. it was extremely difficult to find information on it and it seemed like you're reading bits and pieces of it from here and there. Um, so the education process, my foot was fully on the gas because I'm trying to figure out, I'm thinking I'm going to read through stuff and the light's going to click on that, oh, you were doing this and you were doing this and you were doing this. Shit, this is worse than I thought. How did I not know this? I mean, you're thinking that's what you're going to come to, and then you're going to have a peace of mind about being able to sleep. Going back to being in law enforcement, I kept thinking, once I find out what went wrong, then I can look at what goes with it. You know, is it a $300 fine? Is it, what what is going on with it? 
And so I dug and dug and dug and dug. And the, the tagging deal kept coming up. And storing non-tagged birds and this and that. And it took me, I, I bet it took me looking every day. At that time in 2011, I bet it took me probably 45 days to start connecting enough dots to where I could refine searches to get the stuff that I actually needed to start using. And so when I went and met my lawyer, I told him, I said, dude, this is what they asked. Whoa, 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 before you leave that. Before you leave this part right here, because a very important part of the story with the lawyer. But I want to ask you this before we leave, leave here. Do you think that they thought they had more? In your opinion, do you oh, yeah. think that they had a lot more killing, double dipping, killing over the limit, double dipping, uh, all different baiting, different kinds of stuff? Do you think that they had, a in their minds coming in, that they were going to find and get a lot more that their fallback was the tagging deal? Oh, a thousand percent, sure. Man, that was from a long question law, to get. From, from, from being in law enforcement to knowing the end result to seeing what happened, going back, looking at the search warrant, seeing it was signed at like one thirty-two that day, what was in the affidavit that they wrote to get enough probable cause to come in and get the search warrant 100% for sure it comes down to we used two numbered numeric $100 bills made a purchase on um, a half ounce of marijuana then followed the vehicle back to this location he went in he came back out he made another purchase now we have probable cause that he's dealing not only from his vehicle, but from this house. And so we need a search warrant to go in and find marijuana. They walk in the door, they find cocaine, they find paraphernalia, they find heroin. Then they're going to charge you with everything. They're going to charge you with possession of heroin, possession of cocaine, possession of methamphetamine, paraphernalia, uh, manufacturing stuff. And that's exactly what they did. They had enough to get a probable cause search warrant what was their probable cause though and their probable cause at the time was that i was storing untagged birds transporting untagged birds um had untagged birds on a display board was one dove over the limit for me was that happened with dan and george yeah, was two geese over the limit with one of the guides. Um, but there was enough of that little stuff in there that was, you know, because each day, I mean, these guys went on like 27 hunts with us. So each time we, we stored, transported, or gifted anything untagged, that was count one. Another untagged bird on January 5th. Brian transported an untagged bird from the field to the lodge. Count two. 
you know, storing untagged birds. On January 5th, he processed birds, put them in a freezer that weren't tagged, stored them overnight. Count three. And it just went on and on like that. So that was the probable cause for their search warrant. to get, And they listed it out. You know, they listed in a story on this date, Ryan Warden and S.A. Coyle, which is Special Agent Coyle, S.A. Morrison, went on a hunt somewhere, you know, east of Wichita or whatever, west of Wichita or whatever, and harvested X number of birds. At that time, Warden transported said birds back to the lodge. S.A. Coyle and S.A. Morrison got in their vehicle and followed. No birds were tagged at that point. They did that on purpose because they weren't riding in the same vehicles with me we didn't have separation. We didn't have tagging. We had nothing. So I was in a vehicle with three limits. Where if those birds would have been tagged, it wouldn't have mattered if they were in a different vehicle. That's right. So you had a week. So, you had a week from the time that they came to the lodge to the first time you met with your lawyer. Right? Yep. Uh, if so you're gonna hear, if you're gonna hear about the meeting with the lawyer, you're gonna have to tune in to next week's episode because we're gonna talk about that next week. But today, closing it out, I want I want to ask you this. All right, so you start doing your homework. Start doing your homework. You go back home all these nights, night after night. And you, you some of these light bulbs are coming on, and. You know, you're laying in bed stressing over this. You're probably telling your wife, "Hey, I think this is this may be it." I I I I don't know if I was to that point yet. The light bulbs were coming on. My wife at the time had previously been a paralegal. She had taken the LSAT to go to to go to law school. And without studying it, scored like a 151. She was an extremely intelligent person, one of the most intelligent people I know. Um, her dad was a cop for 30 years, roughly 29, I think, or 30. So she'd, she'd been around it. She knew kind of what was going on. And I was talking to her about, you know, hey, I found this, but I don't quite understand it. It seems there seems to be a lot of gray there. I can't find any case law on it. I can't find examples of it. I can't. And so she was looking to and she was reading it and interpreting law as well. And because there's little words in there like or and those things you got a key on. And so we both knew that. I knew that from being a cop and going through it. She knew that from her legal side of stuff. And we just kind of picked stuff apart. And it was, you know, it kept coming back to, I don't know if there's enough, there's no case law in any of this. And there, it's so gray, I don't know, I don't know that a court is going to let this stick. I mean, it's there, but this is law from 1918. We're having a hell of a time finding any information about it. No case law, like warden versus u.s or anything like that so i don't 
I don't know that there's as much there as what they think is there. So, but it's still, it's, it's you, you got to really close your eyes and think about how bad that is when you don't know. It's, you're better off to know. I think you're better off to know, hey, look, I did this. This is what I'm looking at. Here's my defense options. Then I don't even know how we're going to defend this because I don't know exactly what's going on. The law is gray. I don't know if they're looking at me for violating that law or not. I mean, they are because they're obviously asking about it, but I didn't tag anything, but it's just really weird, really weird feeling to describe. I mean, it's like when you were little and your mom called you into the room and you were in trouble and you weren't sure why, but you knew because she called you by your middle name. And so you kind of go in there like, oh, crap, what? But the difference is at that point you knew you'd probably done something, like broke a window or something, so you knew she found out. But this time you got called by your middle name and you, you go in there, you don't really know what's going on or why. So that was, you know, lights were coming on, but not enough light really yet, especially the first week, to start to panic too much. And I'm every day you're thinking, well, they didn't, they didn't show back up and arrest me. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, so you, you panic with that for a long time until I got back to my lawyer, and we'll, and we'll talk about that then, but. You, you, you're like they're gonna knock every time somebody knocks on the door. You're thinking, "Am I gonna get arrested? I don't even know. I don't even know what I did at this point." Well, should, well the first meeting with the lawyer next week should be really good because I think that we'll get a great introduction to him and what he's like. Probably in, from this really and truly first head-to-head business-type meeting between you two next in, in next week's episode? I would say yes. And we're going to Tyler Jordan showing up and hunting. With camera rolling. And the amount of anxiety and stress. And you still don't quite know what you're doing wrong, but obviously you're doing something wrong. And we're doing it now on film with Tyler Jordan. So you better figure it out real quick. Well, Ryan, I can't wait to hear about that meeting. Talk about Tyler Jordan next week. But, man, I I enjoyed the detail. I'm sorry I went around the world a couple of times and asked him my questions. But really good episode tonight. Great detail in your storytelling. I tell you that every week. But next week we'll jump straight back in it. Thank you again for being here. We want to thank all of you that listened to this edition of the End of the Line podcast powered by DuckSouth.com.